Well, that's the thing is that they talk about like, oh, you know, in order to have a following, you have to post consistently like six to eight times a day. And you should look to see what times of day your posts get the most engagement for the type of topics your your comment you're posting. I'm like, oh, bro. I'm like, I'm going to post before I go to work. And like, that's it for the day. <laughs> like, that's all I got. I don't even check my work email that many times in a day. Like. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Working Code. And now your hosts who wish they were Boolean. So the next time they're wrong, it's only by a bit. Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 96. Coming in quick on uh, 100 there. On today's show, it's crazy. Ben and I are going to talk about writing. It's is a listener request, so we're happy to take them and and since it could only be myself and Ben tonight, Carol and Tim are both st- or both MIA this week. Tim's still loitering in London. Carol's got some stuff she's got to take care of, so but as usual, we're going to start with our triumphs and fails. I guess I'll go first. And I'm going to go with a fail. I could not stick with Microsoft Edge. No shade. You know, I'm, I'm sure that all the people that work on it work really hard and, and do good work, but it just, <laughs> I couldn't make it work for me. I was having memory management issues and it just like, it just, it it became too much to bear, you know, the the, the lag, especially like when you're trying to fill out a form field and, and there's a 10, 15 second lag trying to focus a form field. That was just too much for me. So. What? Wait, this is a you know you, you, yeah 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 exactly. Saying, this is a top spec. This is not a, a a maxed out M1 Max or anything, but it's a it's an M1 MacBook Pro 2021. So this is now granted. I I do a lot. I've got three screens, right? My the laptop screen and two external monitors and lots of apps open. But I've got a lot of memory and I don't know. I just it, it wasn't working for me, right? It, I don't know what it is about Edge versus other browsers, but it couldn't keep up. Sorry to hear that. I know that when I've tried Safari, one of my big gripes with Safari Ugh. is that I'll open it up and it's like, I feel like it's like a 10, 15 second delay from opening Safari to it actually being usable. I don't know what it's booting up into memory, but it's just, it's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, Safari is like, I mean, A, it's just unusable. The, the problem with Safari is that it's Safari. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's the art student of browsers, right? It's just got to be different for the sake of being different. Mm. So that's my fail. How about you, Ben? I'm going to go with a triumph. I'm going to go with double triumphs. Coming right. finger guns here. One <laughs> Single is barrel that. or double barrel? <laughs> double barrel finger guns. I Something like last Wednesday... I, I had an idea for something I wanted to build in the legacy app. And I don't know if you ever had this situation. I'm sure you've had this situation where you can see the thing in your mind's eye, what you want to build, and you can basically get a sense of how it's all going to fit together, more or less, you know, some fuzzy parts, but basically you can see the path. And mm-hmm. it's really just a matter of grinding out all of that code and you, you, the, the bandwidth between your brain and your keyboard is the limiting factor. And so Mm -hmm. I looked at this task and I thought, you know what, this feels like a week's worth of coding, like straight coding, doing nothing else. I can do this in a week. And I created an Epic in Jira and I put some really high level cards. Like I I had maybe 20, 25 cards and uh, I just started picking them off one at a time. And 
I turned that feature on today. So I basically went from ideation last Wednesday to turning it on this morning. And I just feel really which, good about my ability to estimate. Which is like seven or eight days, depending on how you measure it. So good. You said you turn it on this morning. Yeah. So yeah, like seven days. Yeah. So I felt nice. uh, I, my ability to estimate, I think seven days is like the max where I have any kind of high degree of accuracy. I think after mm-hmm. that, I just start going by weeks. Like anything over a week is two weeks. And you know anything mm-hmm. over three weeks is like a month. So, so, so that was my first triumph. Felt really good about that. My second triumph goes back to the whole legacy platform stuff that I've brought up ad nauseum on the show. But for those who are new, welcome. I, I work <laughs> on the legacy platform at work. I am the last of the legacy platform engineers. Everyone else at the company would like me very much to be not working on legacy. And so uh, it came up again. When are you going to start working on the new platform? And I'm very emotional about the legacy platform. I love working on it. Everyone on the non-legacy platform is very emotional about the, the non-legacy platform, the modern platform. So mm-hmm. it, it would have been very easy and very non-confrontational of me to say, you know what, it's time. I'm just going to drop everything that I'm doing and I'm going to move over to the modern platform. But I decided I didn't want to just cave. I felt like that was not the, that was not the right move. And I also don't want to work on the legacy platform forever. That's also not the right move. So what I decided was... I was going to pick a ARR or annual recurring revenue threshold. And I said, ARR represents customer dollars and those customer dollars deserve support and love and attention. And I said, when the ARR drops below a certain threshold on the legacy platform, I will stop what I'm doing and I will move over to the modern platform. And I, and I think picking an ARR threshold feels like something everybody can just get on board with and it doesn't have to be a lot of fear, uncertainty, a doubt about how long it's going to be or, or whether there's going to be value add. There's people there, there's money, there should be attention, but only to a point. And now that we have a point, we don't really have to talk about it again, which is, I just yeah. think, I don't know. I was really happy about that. I, dude, I'm, that's amazing. Uh, like, I, w- I just want to say like, I'm really proud of you, but <laughs> you know, it, it, that puts a lot of emotion into the the sentiment, which you know, I guess is there, but like it feels a little weird too. But the like you said, it takes all of the emotion out of the decision, and it just says, "Okay, here's the line in the sand. When we cross it, then we cross it." Yep. You know, you don't have to keep wondering and and stressing over it. And I think that maybe something you did, uh, you maybe you anticipated it, maybe you didn't, but it incentivizes them to get more people onto the modern platform, right? To do that, absolutely. Um, what is the word that I'm migration? Migrations to do that yeah. migration work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It becomes it's like instead of me just being some arbitrary, emotional, stubborn person, there's now mm-hmm. a a thing that I can point to and say, "I want to be on the modern platform," you know, in quotes. But I can't <laughs> until we hit this goal, and so it's not like I'm not the blocker. Something else has become the blocker. Perfect. Yeah. Let me yeah. ask you this though. If you had said, sure, you know, today's the day, why not? Let's just like, you know, pull the the tablecloth out from under these dishes here. What does that mean? Like, right? So somebody still has to do the ops work of keeping that stuff online. And I imagine, you know, occasionally there's bugs found or whatever to to those. Would those still get attention or... Or what does that mean? Uh, It's very fuzzy, you know, for the most. So, so certain things are not up for debate. So as an example, just yesterday, 
one of the guys from the security team, David Epler, he's well known in the cold fusion community as mm-hmm. well. He came and gave me some results. There was a pen test, a penetration test, which apparently we do annually now, at least on the legacy platform does annually. I think the modern platform might do it by annually. And there are some high, moderate and low vulnerabilities that, uh, that we have to take care of. And so I, that's one of those things like you just have to drop what you're doing and start addressing those things because they're time sensitive. So something mm-hmm. like that would have to be dealt with. But bugs, I mean, there's already, unfortunately, I hate to say this, there's already many bugs in the legacy platform that are just never going to be addressed. So mm. it's just more of that, I would suppose, if, if once we move over to, to the modern platform. Hmm. Man, that's such a weird concept to me. Like, I get the idea of bugs that'll never be fi- fixed because you've got the modern platform and you'd rather, you know, maybe... I don't know how it works in your business, but like, you know, there could be a component where customers might want to stay on the legacy platform and that you might need to incentivize them to do whatever their part is to, to move over there, even if it's just like giving up certain features or, or whatever. But it, the it's, idea it's, of... It's so weird. You know, it's so weird. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, well, the, the, the thing that gets me is the idea of knowing there are bugs that, you know, I, I guess it, it's got to depend on how severe the bugs are, right? Like we have feature requests and and I guess here's one bug that I can think of in our system. And this is the only bug that I can think of at the moment that we know is there that we haven't fixed. And that is that we have an event setup form. You know, you specify these are the details of the event and then people can register for it and pay for it and all that. And that event setup form allows you to specify an end date that happens before the start date, right? That's something that we should have just <laughs> caught in the validation and we didn't. But at the same time, it's easy enough for you to go, oh, that's dumb. Like, maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> and like, yeah, we should we should fix that. But at the same time, we've got so many irons in the fire, so many big fish to fry right. here. Like, it's that's and it's such a low impact, right? It doesn't cause any actual problems that I can think of. It's just we shouldn't do it. It's a bug. <laughs> but it doesn't cause any like other data problems or anything like that. Anytime that we find something that actually causes data problems or that prevents people from getting work done, that's like a not not quite a four alarm fire, but that's like a okay, well somebody's going to drop what they're doing and fix that right now. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It, it one of the sore points for me as I've brought up many times is that at some point years ago someone decided to introduce React alongside Angular in the legacy mm-hmm. platform. The, the, the modern platform is almost entirely built in React, I believe. There's still some Angular a little bit, and there's still some Vue, I believe, as well. But the parts that are built in React on the legacy platform are just such a nightmare. And, and I've been complaining about it for so long, and I've, and I've maintained it, but it's, it's, I don't want to throw React under the bus entirely. I'm not, I'm not hating on React exclusively here. Really what the problem is, is that it was React built with this crazy Redux platform approach and the people who put it together didn't really know what they were doing. Like everyone was learning Redux at the same time. And mm-hmm. and it's just, there's so much indirection. Yep. In the Angular world, it's like I'm calling this method and it's changing this data. In, in the React Redux world of, of, you know, seven years ago on this legacy platform, it's I'm I'm like emitting this action creator, which is then getting consumed by some sort of 
action thing, which is then calling into a store, which is then being subscribed to by a React component. I mean, it's just figuring out where the heck the data is coming from is such a nightmare. And on top Mm -hmm. of that, compiling the React is really slow and frustrating. Anyway, long story short, there's decisions that someone made in the React part of the program that I just, I, it's beyond me to understand how to fix it without completely scrapping it. Like I can't see the incremental path, unfortunately, just because it's so convoluted. So there, right. we, one of the, one of the big things that we run into, a lot of our bugs that I see getting logged have to do with, what's the phrase? When you do something before the data is saved, optimistic, they, they'll make mm-hmm. optimistic changes to the UI. Like instead of waiting for a record to be created, and then having the primary key from the database to work with, they'll just create a UUID in JavaScript memory space and use that mm-hmm. as the thing that they use going forward. But then the problem is users will then do subsequent actions on that thing and, and it ends up sending the UUID to the database and the database mm-hmm. doesn't know what the heck you're talking about. So all of these things are like can't cast UUID to integer. And, and mm-hmm. it's like in order to stop that, I'd have to completely rip out all of the optimistic updates that they're making to the UI, but that's all getting routed through action creators and stores. And it's just, it's just such a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, the the whole, my understanding of optimistic UI updates is not something I've done a whole lot with. I just choose to <laughs> be lazy yeah, yeah. and wait for the result to come back from the server and, and use that. But my understanding is like, yeah, okay, you, you optimistically update state to assume that it's going to go well. And then when it does come back, then you update state again to say, okay, here's the new truth, right? That record you created is ID number 42. Well, there were all kinds of weird edge cases where the the server request would fail or wouldn't validate, but then they wouldn't roll back the optimistic update. Or the the server request just literally doesn't come back fast enough. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe it'll hit a node that's having trouble on the server and it'll hang for five, 10 seconds, and then the user is doing other stuff with that data at that point. And I don't know, but, but, but I'm with you, man. I, I spent so much effort trying to do things proactively in the UI, especially in the really early days. And now I avoid that as much as possible. And it just makes the, the code so much easier to, to reason about. And from a performance standpoint, I feel like it really didn't make that much of a difference. Mm-hmm. And it's much easier to maintain now. Yeah, I think that for somebody like Facebook who has, I don't, I'm just going to throw a number out here that is so large it doesn't even matter at that scale. But like, you know, I imagine they have like 50,000 software engineers on staff, right? Like, yo, did you hear that, though that they just started laying off some people? No. Interesting. Yeah. I think like just as of hours ago, apparently they announced a hiring freeze and I think maybe they warned of upcoming layoffs. So they haven't, I think they haven't laid off people yet. I think they've warned that that's maybe probably going to happen. Interesting. Well, we'll yeah. have to see how that how that shakes out. No, I hadn't Tune seen that. Tune in next week. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like at their scale, obviously they have problems that they're solving that we just don't have to deal with at our scale with that kind of workforce, with that kind of, you know, brain power that they can throw at everything. They can just have one engineer sit there and figure out all the little particulars of one screen for a month. Like we just can't do that. That's not, that doesn't work in our business model. And I'm sure it's the same for you. Yeah. 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 Totally. But you know what though I have, or I should say my team has a a similar react app that nobody wants to touch. 
and it uses Redux. And again, not to throw Redux under the bush, under the bus, right? Or under the bush? Sure, why not? Don't throw Redux <laughs> under the burning bush. I think the problem, like you said, the problem is that we were learning Redux while we were writing this thing, and so we could have done. It could have been done better by somebody who already knew better. But you know, the only way you're going to learn is to make mistakes. And oh boy, there's mistakes in it. And and it just became the thing that nobody wanted to touch because it's such a pain in the butt. And then it, you know, it rotted on the vine for so long that like now it's basically unupdatable. Right. The code is there. The code works. I don't think there's any bugs in it. But the the dependencies and everything are just so out of date. It uses such an old version of React. I don't think it's, mm-hmm. I honestly don't think it's possible. Like if we needed to make a change to that, I think we would just be like, okay, well, now this is the moment that we rewrite it. It's fortunately, it's a relatively small thing, but just, yeah, just, mm, no. <laughs> it's, it's funny. And again, I'm sure a lot of this is just my lack of having immediate understanding of all things React, which, which makes it hard to understand what the path forward is. But there's little silly things. For example, we have some feature flags that have been turned on for everybody for a really long time. And some of those feature flags are being consumed in, in the React code. And so I'd like, to, I'd like to take them out and make that code more maintainable, you know, not have the feature flag branches that are doing this or doing that based on the state. And I can't just rip them out because one or two of them is actually based on a, a, another environment variable. But in order to get that environment variable down to the place where the feature flag is being referenced, I'd have to pass it down through like, I don't know, and you know, nth layer of components, because I think the version of React that we have is is before there was even context, I think. Wow. And I, I'm saying I'm saying things that I don't fully understand here. Or or maybe they've maybe we've upgraded, but no, there's no prior art in our application about how to use context. And I don't know anything about context. So sure. it could be as easy as saying, hey, something's going to provide this value and then something far down in the stack can use it. But I don't, I don't know how that works. So if I wanted to pass this environment variable down, I'd have to literally, what, what, what they call prop drilling, where I'm essentially passing mm-hmm. it from one component down to a component down to a component ad nauseum until I get to the right layer. I'm just like, no, I'm just going to leave those feature flags in there forever. Like that's the chances <laughs> of me breaking something <laughs> or like flipping my desk <laughs> is too high. Yep. It's too high. So oh, those yeah. feature flags are just now there forever. Well, forever until the legacy platform goes yeah, away, yeah. right? Like that's, <laughs> that's the benefit. Yeah. Forever exactly. has an end date. We just don't know what it is yet. So that's me. Okay. Those well, my uh, <laughs> yeah. Those, that, <laughs> that was uh, definitely a full double barrel triumph there. Buddy. Finger guns. Yeah. Cool. So let's talk about writing. So I guess off the top here, let's acknowledge that it was like, would we say 60 something episodes ago that we did an episode yeah, yeah. about blogging and the benefits of blogging? And I, I think that the way that we're going to talk about it tonight is going to be different, right? I don't remember the exact premise for that episode. It was like episode 36 or something. But we had, a, like I said, we had a, a patron uh, and a listener ask some questions about blogging. And and we thought, especially since you and I are the only two of the hosts of the show that that regularly or semi-regularly, in my case, blog and have a history of it. Since it's just the two of us, it was a good time to to answer those questions. So that's what we're going to do tonight. So Ben, oh gosh, I don't even know where to start here. So what what motivates you to to write articles on your blog or anything else that you write? I don't know. Do do you write anywhere besides your blog on any regular? No. I guess there's you know I'm not counting Facebook or anything like that. I know you kind of 
post extreme summaries of your articles in some places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my my social media is is strictly links to the things that I write and photos of my dog. That's basically all that I have. <laughs> well, and videos, but we don't need to get into that again. <laughs> yeah, wait till the after show. <laughs> no, I don't write anywhere else. I just write on my blog, and and I'd say okay. that over over time, the the breadth of things that I write about has contracted. Early on, I think I was in part motivated by what people would be interested in so i found myself writing about things that i didn't really have any business writing about meaning things like mm, movie reviews you know i went to a movie and let me write up a review mm. i'm not very i'm i'm very articulate when it comes to technical things i am not articulate when it comes to movies i'm like i like stuff because it had guns and things blew up <laughs> and i'm not like so i stopped writing about stuff like that i've really focused almost entirely on um, technical things and sort of tech adjacent, you know, work stuff, work-life balance stuff, that kind of stuff. Right. That's cool. I guess I got my start. Oh God, I don't know. I, I was one of those like annoying teenagers, like on live journal, just writing about my day. And <laughs> if you are able to find that somewhere on the annals of the internet, please do not send it to me because I don't, I don't want to cringe so hard that I die. <laughs> so I, I just, I think I've always enjoyed writing as a, as a catharsis sort of thing. I feel like I'm a decent communicator in terms of like being able to explain my thoughts, maybe not being super concise as, <laughs> as the last couple of sentences can point out or can demonstrate. <laughs> I, maybe that's what it is. I like the written word because it gives me the opportunity to edit myself where, you know, here on the podcast, I don't really get that opportunity so much. But so I've got, I've been writing for a long, long time. I, I was just said, I have, I have also been always drawn to writing. I've, it, it was always something that I enjoyed in school and I enjoy it out of school as well. But it's, I, writing never felt like a chore. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree with you, but only the things that I chose to write. Right. Like yeah, writing yeah, papers course, in course. school was the worst. And especially like any assigned reading or assigned writing, it was so difficult for me. Even if it was something that I would choose today to read or to write, to just having it assigned, I think, made it difficult for me for some reason. So anyway, I, I have a long history of writing. And so at one point, I, when I got my first full-time Cold Fusion job, which was a couple of years before my first kid. So I want to say like around 2005, 2004. Let's see. My my boss encouraged me to, to write about stuff. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I, I kind of understand blogging, so I'll, I'll give it a go. And I did some very cursory searches for CFML blogs and I found nothing, literally nothing. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll start a CFML blog. It doesn't look like one of those exist. And my very first <laughs> article crazy. was like, you know, how to to keep your application.cfm because application.cfc didn't exist at the time, how to keep your application.cfm performant um, and, you know, what to include and what not to include. And I very quickly learned through people like finding it, I guess, and leaving comments. And those, you know, back in those days, you know, you left a comment and you're, it would include a URL as like part of your little profile bits of your comment and they would link to your own blog. And I, like, I know yours does that right now, Ben, but modern these days, you know, people just do like social links or whatever, but, um, yeah, yeah. so like having people leave those comments showed me that there were actually already 
CFML blogs out there. And that's how I found out about like you and, and Ray Camden and all these other prolific CFML writers. And I was like, how did I, how did I miss this when I was searching for these things? How did, how did I not find that these people existed? So apparently back then I was terrible at Googling, but so that's, that's kind of like how I started. It was just at the encouragement of my boss. And I was like, yeah, you know, I could, I could do that. And I think I must have had some early success in terms of like getting people's attention because I, I can't think of anything else that would have made me stay consistent. As, as much as I don't want it to be true, I, I guess I can just say I'm a bit of an attention whore, right? Like who, who has a podcast that isn't? So you, like you get a dopamine hit when people leave comments yeah. on your blog posts and, uh, yeah, a thousand percent, it feels yes. good. And so you just keep doing it. So I got started at work also. I, I don't even remember why I thought I, anyone would be interested in this. I started originally as an internal newsletter at the, at the company I was working, this company, Nylon hmm. Technology. And I just started one day. I, I said, you know what? I'm going to start sending out a technology newsletter in-house. I call it the Nylon Technology News or something. And it was basically just me blogging. And then I would write everything down it, literally in an HTML file. And then I would do a CF loop. So I would loop over the email addresses of my fellow engineers and I would just do a CF mail to them. And I would include this HTML file. And... um I, I don't even know why <laughs> I thought <laughs> anyone would have any interest in what I was writing. I loved programming and I do love programming and I have always gotten so much joy out of it that I cannot help but assume other people will feel the joy that I feel when I look at code. And I just wanted to share that love with everybody else. And basically, I got no response, which is, you know, story of my life in many respects. <laughs> uh, and so I, I did it as this newsletter, I don't know, probably for six months or something. And then I decided that I just wanted to reach a broader audience. And that's when I started building my personal blog. And I actually found a copy of all the newsletters a while back. I'll see if I can. That, that feels like it's post worthy. I feel like that's a nice retro time machine kind of a thing but uh said like a true blogger right you got that content farm mentality yeah yeah Everything oh well, i mean content. that's such a huge thing it's like i'm building my own encyclopedia and mm -hmm. I, I search it constantly for for i have vague recollections of something that i thought about or something that i solved or it's just something technical that i can't remember but i knew i remembered it once and i can look at what i wrote you know from five years ago and it's just there and yeah it, it's great so that's what got us started blogging. Why do you still do it? Like, do you, if it was all about the dopamine hit from comments that, that made that consistency happen, it's been many years for both of us now. Why do you still write? Especially, I guess, I guess for me, the question is, do you still get the same level of comments that you did back in the day? And if not, why do you still write? Oh man, it's, it's night and day. The, the level of, of interaction. It, it used to be, I, I would get so many comments. I didn't know what to do. Like I didn't know how to keep up with it. And it, mm -hmm. it's not, I'm not, you know, I'm not like a famous person or anything. I'm not a very socially adept person. So it doesn't take that much to throw me off my game, but it was, it was like I'd have a post and there'd be dozens of comments on it. And now if I get a dozen comments in a week, like I'm like, all right, that was a good week. You know, I have a couple of people, thankfully, that that do seem to check in 
frequently. And they, at this point, sort of make up the, the bulk of the comments. So it feels much, much, much less like it has that social feedback cycle for me. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of that is because I still talk primarily about legacy. I mean, legacy, quote unquote depending on who you're talking to. I, I talk about less popular, let's call it like that, less, less popular technology choices. And I think mm-hmm. that's just not, they don't engage as well. That's interesting. But at the same time, the people who do need that, that content you know, have fewer places to get it from. Yeah, that's true. And, and, I, and I do run into people who say, hey, you know, I still find your articles all the time and, and that's great. You know, one thing I did years ago was I, I put in, code that will cut off the comment that'll stop allowing comments to be created on posts that are over, I think like three or Mm -hmm. four years old. Cause you know, for someone who is often feeling overwhelmed by life and the number of responsibilities to have someone jump into a post that's like 10 years old and be like, Hey, this XML parsing doesn't work anymore on my (laughs) windows NT server. I'm like, yo, I don't, I don't want to be rude and not respond. <laughs> so I'm just not going to let anyone comment anymore on post that old. So I feel, you know, maybe that was a bad decision. I don't know. No, you know what? I support that decision if for no other reason than like spam, right? So that that used to be yeah. a couple of years ago, not that long ago, a, a tactic that spammers would use. They'd find something really old that had open comments and they would just post garbage comments on it with links to other stuff to, to try and build up the the link juice as it were. <laughs> um, to whatever crappy websites they're trying to increase the search rankings for. Yeah. So so today, you know, I I blog I almost exclusively it feels like at this point for me. I just blog the stuff that I find interesting. A, a, a lot of my stuff is still here's the thing that I solved yesterday. Let me write about it today. And that mm-hmm. has historically been a huge part of my approach and and continues to be a huge part of my approach. And it, the act of writing, the the beautiful thing about the act of writing is that it forces you to think more deeply about the thing that you're doing. And then mm-hmm. that also drives it into your, I think, deep memory. And I don't know, you know, long-term memory much yeah, more effectively. Yeah. So before we get too far from this statement, I want to, I want to correct you on something. You said you're not, I think you said you're not a famous person or anything like that. And I just want to say like, now, now there's a little bit of a chicken and egg problem here, right? Like I think that you have been posting content consistently for a long time. And by that's, by its very nature, that behavior will increase your follower count because people will just give you a a follow because, oh, that one thing that you posted was interesting to me. But you have like 20, over 22,000 followers on Twitter. I don't know what your Facebook do presence I, is like. I, I you do. I, I've, I've 22,000. Now, granted, I, I'm not measuring us against each other or anything like that, but I, I would consider myself a much more casual user of Twitter. Although, you mm-hmm. know, I, I kind of put myself in tech circles for the most part. The, a lot of the people that I follow are tech. A lot of the conversations that I engage in are tech related. And occasionally, you know, I, when I do get around to writing something these days, I will post it on my Twitter and I try to, you know, do what I can to participate in those circles. But my following is like just over 1,600. So I, I feel like the average person, you know, putting out a little bit of content can get that, you know, that thousand people mark. You are above average, sir. <laughs> All right. I, I'll, hey, I'll take it. I'll take it because I, I do not, you know, I struggle socially. And I even, even on social media, I struggle to be 
consistent in any way whatsoever. You know, I, I hear every now and then I'll subscribe to a, a podcast that's about social marketing, like social media marketing, mm-hmm. just because I'm like, you know, let me dip my toe in there to see what's going on. And I, I can only make it like two or three episodes before I'm like, I just can't deal with this. This is a waste of my time. Yeah, there's but it's so much it, effort goes into it. Oh my God. Well, that's the thing is that they talk about like, oh, you know, in order to have a following, you have to post consistently like six to eight times a day. And you should look to see what times of day your posts get the most engagement for the type of topics your your comment you're posting. I'm like, oh, yeah. bro. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to post before I go to work. And like, that's it for the day. <laughs> like, that's all I got. I don't even check my work email that many times in a day. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Oh, it's so true. Oh, man. Um, hey, I'm proud of that one. I, uh, I, I got a, a bend break on my yeah. own. <laughs> oh. So speaking of social media, for me, and I, I don't know if this represents everybody else's experience as well, but I feel like the creation of Twitter and the the popularity of Twitter roughly coincides with Google killing Google Reader. At the time that Google killed Reader, it was a big part of my like daily morning routine. You know, get to the office, check in on all the blogs that I follow, see what their content is. And, you know, cause I was, I would follow a bunch of stuff that was mostly, you know, relevant to my work. So I didn't feel bad doing it at work. I was like, okay, these are people writing about things that I need to know or I should know to make me better right. at my job. And, you know, and I feel like that drove me toward commenting and Twitter, I think I, I can't, I certainly can't say that Twitter caused Google to kill reader, but I feel like it took a lot of people's attention away from using Reader, and maybe that's why they killed it. And I know there are other products out there like Feedly. I have a Feedly account. I'm subscribed to blogs. And for whatever reason, maybe it's because I'm on Twitter, but I just, I find myself not having the attention or the time or the motivate something. I just don't use it like I used to. And even though there are blogs that I'm like, I really don't want to miss anything. I guess it just doesn't rise to the level of, well, then don't miss anything. It's so hard. I, I struggle so much with the same stuff. And and I think part of it is just that there's so much content these days. It, mm-hmm. it, it used to be, you know, if you followed maybe a couple of dozen blogs, you could skim through all of the topics at a time and, and, and get a sense of which ones you want to read and which ones aren't for you. Mm-hmm. But now, I mean... In a day, just in my email, I get like, it, it feels like 17 different newsletters that I've collected over the, over the last 20 years. And you open each one of those and each one of them has like 30 links in it. And I'm like, it, it, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. The idea of just casually collecting information. It, it, it feels like all of the information that I gather these days is because I hit a problem and I'm Googling very specifically for that problem. And that's where I find posts these days. Yeah. But I don't love that. I don't love that. I can, I definitely relate to that. And maybe this is just a, a sense of nostalgia of the past when the world was smaller and the communities were smaller. But like, I, I want to be able to motivate to be more part of the, of the community. I feel like I'm not part of a community anymore. I mean, I, Mm. there's the cold fusion community, which I think I'll just always be part of for historical reasons, but 
I don't know. I, I one thing that I've been playing around with is the, is the idea of just dedicating Sunday, resisting the urge to write any code on Sunday, and do just reading, whether that's a book hmm. or whether it's going through blogs or or something to just find information, just to like f- give myself a bounded context in which to absorb information. But I don't know. I haven't really done that yet. I did I did it like last Sunday and it felt really great actually. But we'll see if I can keep that going. Hmm. I'd like to hear about that. So I guess another thought I had too was, you know, you said the comments kind of fell off and I wonder yeah. how men, how much of that discussion moved over to Twitter because or other places. I know you well, post on Facebook and for some bizarre reason, you seem really engaged on LinkedIn. <laughs> Explain yourself, sir. I, <laughs> I mean, LinkedIn to me, because I, I don't know anything about LinkedIn. I haven't had to interview or look for a job, thankfully, in, in you know, 15 years. I mean, I've in 15 years, I've had like two and a half jobs. And, you know, so I'm just, I've not been someone who had to network or maintain a network of people or call on my network of people for help, thankfully. So I treat LinkedIn today more just like a social platform, but I... I don't post pictures of my dog. So it's <laughs> it's the social me minus the dog. <laughs> but here's here's the thing that drives me crazy. And I and I don't understand what this is about. So I will at work, when I write an article at work that feels at least mildly work-related, and mild is pretty in quotes there, I will post it to our engineering channel. In Slack. And I say, hey, I wrote this thing. I try to relate it to work. I say, you know, in the legacy platform, we do this. And this is why I thought this would be potentially an interesting read. And I will have people go to the article that I wrote, read it, clearly read it, and then come back into Slack and post a comment mm. about something I wrote. And I'm like, bro, this comment will be lost forever. But if you had made this same comment, if you had taken the effort that you just put out and actually just did it over there instead of over here, like that would mm-hmm. live forever. People will be able to find that. People will be able to respond to it. I There's this like weird, almost a, aversion to having something live longer than a tweet. And I, I don't understand where that motivation is coming from. Do you think that's intentional? Like, do you think if you, if they left that comment back for you in Slack and you said, Hey, would you mind like copying and pasting that over and leaving it as a comment on the blog? I feel like it's a good discussion and I want to have it with you, but I want to have that discussion in the open so that other people can benefit from being a fly on the wall for that discussion. Do you feel like you would get pushback on that? I don't know. I mean, you're so you're you're such a more mature person than I am. <laughs> my <laughs> my strategy, <laughs> my strategy is I will go and I will I will go to my own article and I will post my own comment. I'll say, hey, someone at work. Some like one of my coworkers just mm. mentioned this, and I thought maybe it'd be interesting to share here. And then I'll go into Slack and say like, "Hey, great feedback! I left a comment about it on my post." So like, I get almost like a little passive aggressive about it, which you know, again, to say you were quite the you were, you were the bigger man. But it's it's you know, it's at work, it's it's at Twitter, it's on Facebook. People will go, they'll read something, but then they feel compelled to respond in the social media sphere and not in the source of truth in the, you know, in the, in the origin. And that, I, I don't know if, I don't even think it's a conscious choice. I, I, it's like people are just so used to having social media as the thing that is the point of interaction that like they can't help themselves. One of the things that I struggle with emotionally is 
the stuff that you write or the stuff that I write over time becomes less relevant, which is less of an issue, but sometimes it becomes less accurate as time brings forth more evidence. And I'm not one of those people who I'm not motivated enough to go back and fix things that are wrong. I'm already struggling to get through my day and do the things that I want to do. I'm constantly out of time. I'm constantly out of breath. I think I've described this on previous episodes as just feeling like I'm constantly underwater. And I, I don't know how to solve that problem. But I know that solving that problem will not be helped by going back to an article from three years ago and fixing some factoid that I got wrong. But at the same time, I know that there are other people who might land on that article from a Google search and and maybe be misled or they'll find information that is inaccurate or might lead them into problems in other ways. And I feel bad about that. So there is like this emotional weight to, to, to feeling like everything you've done in the past is not perfect. And that sucks. But I guess, you know, when that happens a couple of times, you, you learn from that. And I think that ends up reinforcing your, your future efforts. Meaning, let's say that I'm, I'm about to write something technical and I'll say, Hey, this is how, this is how this works. And when you do this, the browser does this thing. You know, old me would have tried it in Firefox and been like, okay, great. It works. We're done for the day. But me with a long period of of writing under my belt, I'll go, you know what? Let me just double check this in Safari to make sure that it actually does the same thing in Safari. And like, let me just double check that it, that it works this way in Chrome. And, uh, you know, in 95% of cases, it's the same in every browser, but there is that weird little edge case where it's totally different in Safari for, you know, because Safari. And, and so having made mistakes and having to have that emotional burden of living with those mistakes, I think has helped me become a better thinker about the way that I write and about the things that I write. And I'm much less likely to just throw something out casually without testing it. And, and so I guess the mistakes in my past are helping me make my content going forward much more dependable and solid. That makes sense. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a couple of thoughts regarding that. So a couple of things that immediately spring to mind, I guess this is where the concept of like a digital garden instead of a time-based blog, you know, just like a, I mean, literally blog is, it comes from, I think it was binary log and it was just like, okay, you know, dropping a note every day in the, in the system to keep track of what you were doing and when it happened. And that, that has value. Like obviously, you know, producing content on a daily basis has value in terms of keeping up with what's relevant in the moment. But I think if you compare that similarly to like vlogs on YouTube or whatever, you know, I think that they suffer from some of the same problems, right? It's it's not as interesting to go back and look at somebody's videos. Some, they're just daily vlogs of what whatever's relevant or going on in the news from 10 years ago. And I think that that's why digital gardens have kind of become a little bit more popular these days where people... yeah. I think everybody kind of has a different approach to it. The way that I am kind of trying to approach mine is that I have a, a huge back catalog of content from previous, I guess I'll say iterations or versions of my blog that I have on, you know, in backup, but I haven't restored all of it yet. And what I'm trying to do is over time, I go through like a year's worth of that content and I go, that's not worth reposting that's not worth reposting okay i'll i'll keep that one or i'll update it or whatever 
And it's, it really is like gardening, right? Like I'm pruning out the stuff that doesn't belong anymore. That's not relevant. That's just, it's not worth rewriting or didn't, it wouldn't have value today. And that gives me the motivation to do what I can to keep things up to date. And, you know, it's, nobody has the time to go back and re-review everything they wrote last year to make sure that it is still relevant today, especially someone who writes every day like you. Like I put out maybe a dozen blog posts in a year if, if I'm lucky, right? Like a good year for me is 12 to 20 blog posts. For you, I think a good month is 12 to 20 blog posts, 20 to 30. In a good month, yeah. Yeah. So, like, ain't nobody got time for that, right? Like, we're not... Well, I was going to say, and that's my big issue with the idea of keeping things fresh, maybe, Mm -hmm. is that it only ever gets harder. Meaning that as your back catalog grows, the, the thing that remains constant is you. You, you can't get more you and you can't get more hours in the day for the most part, you know, unless you stop doing some other things. So the idea of going back and updating things, it's, it's like it, it will only ever get harder if I want to keep doing that. Yep. So and that, that kind of ties in nicely with another one of the ideas that I had, which was like, especially considering you wrote your own blogging platform, it would be so simple for you to throw in like a little banner at the top of the blog post that says, hey, this was written more than five years ago. So there's a real good chance that it's out of date. You know, it's still here because you might find it helpful, but it, you know, there might be a more relevant or more recent resource for you to use. And then, you know, if if you do get comments about that, actually, that's a really good idea. Yeah. See, you're welcome. (laughs) I'll send you a check or an invoice. (laughs) And I think that, you know, wherever you're drawing the line for turning off comments, right. You said you turn off comments for old, entries do the same thing for the banner right like if you if you're not going to accept comments on something that old then it's probably the same cutoff would make sense for displaying this is old that makes a lot of sense you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) i guess the next one on here that's interesting to me in the moment is uh, what have you what do you feel like you've done right and what do you feel like you might have messed up on well as far as messing up on i think it, it was writing about stuff that I didn't really have any business writing about. I earlier in mm. the the discussion here, you know, I talked about writing about the movies, and to you know, don't get me wrong, I love movies. I really, really love movies. I just I, I don't speak about them really well, and I was doing it because I thought other people, I thought it might get engagement, you know, mm-hmm. to write about movies. But it 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 always felt a little bit like a chore. Here's the thing: it's like I don't want the writing to ever feel like a chore. And, and the mistakes, the biggest mistakes that I've made has been writing stuff that didn't feel like it just flowed out of me. The, the things that I think I do well are when I'm really excited about something. I'm not saying it's always easy to get to the end of an article. Sometimes I'll be writing and I'm just like, oh, I have to take another screenshot and, and put arrows <laughs> on something. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't feel enthused about this, but, but like the idea and the writing of the article itself, like I'm excited about. And I think that's the, that's the thing that I feel like I've done the best at is, is having a solid voice. Like I know who I am and I know what I'm excited about. And I've really started to focus entirely on the things that I'm excited about. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I would say I've had the things that have been most successful in terms of engagement views and comments and stuff have always been things that are relatively cutting edge that excite me 
And so I, I kind of just chased my interest down a rabbit hole and I learned something interesting. So I decided to write about it. And then it turns out to be something that people end up searching for, right? It, it, like if it brings search traffic, then, you know, you get lots of views, you get lots of comments and lots of dopamine from that. And, at the, you know, kind of let me tie this back into your movie thing. So a pretty big movie trope would be the like sort of the guy who has no idea that a potential love interest is sending him clues that that she's interested. And so he just completely mm-hmm. misses his opportunity to pursue that romance. I feel like that has that's a, a good representation of my writing career. I have <laughs> failed to capture the lightning that's been right there in the bottle in front of me so many times. or or failed to realize that the lightning was in the bottle, right? Like Bootstrap 2 era, so long time ago, I wrote this post about customizing a Bootstrap type of head. Are you familiar with that type of head? It's like... You're talking uh, so like when you're, it's giving you suggestions, that thing? Yeah, yeah. So you, you type in an input box, just like a regular single line text input. And as you type, it filters and shows you the items in a list that that match that filter. Well, as it turned out, even back as early as Bootstrap 2, that was very customizable. Like you could give it some functions and it, you know, you you could have a function that does the matching, right? So like it could make an Ajax request and get the data to do the matching there or whatever. And then, so like, and separate from that, you had a function that could do formatting of the results that you're about to display because these are the things that matched, right? And so I wrote this awesome blog post that kind of dove deep into what was possible with a bootstrap type ahead. It as even as going as far as like, you know, you search for president names or whatever, and it shows you their name. And underneath that, like a, sec- a secondary line of text, it would show like their, the, the years that they were president and it showed their picture, like their official president photograph in the, in the drop down. Nice. You know, it's like just nicely formatted. Like this is how a, a good type of head would look. And that yep. got so many search hits and so many views and a decent number of comments. And it was just like years later, I was like, I really should have seen what was going on there and like gone deep on so many other aspects of bootstrap that would have, I think that would have altered the trajectory of my writing career had I done that. But Mm. I completely was clueless at the time. I was like, Oh look, all these clicks. This is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And that was it. I'll tell you something that makes me think about too, is that because I have focused on the same topics for such a long time, Cold Fusion and JavaScript and, you know, more narrowly Angular. And the topics tend to get more advanced over time because those are the types of problems I'm solving. It's, you know, day one, I'm, how do I make a query to the database? And, you know, day 4,000, I'm like, let me look at how you organize index structure to have a covering index to make joins more efficient. And what I forget is that not everyone in the world is going on that journey with me. In fact, most people are not going on that journey with me, which, which is like I, I, my audience almost by it's by the nature of my journey becomes smaller over time, which is very frustrating because I'll, for example, write a post on here's the, here's what I've learned over the last 15 years about database index structure. 
and I mm. pour my heart into it. And it's, you know, it's a, it's an opus on, on, on how beautiful indexing can be and how fast and all these problems that it solves and it gets very little traction. And then I'm like, Oh, did you know that, you know, you can find the closest parent Dom element by calling this one method that's on the Dom API. And people are like, Oh, that's amazing. And you get like 70 comments. You're like, what really? <laughs> like, that's the thing you guys are excited about. And, and yep. I, I only say it from my perspective because that feels like the stuff I would have written about 10 years ago. But the reality is, and I always forget this, is that most people are where I was 10 years ago. And I don't mean that in, a, in like, a, I was so far ahead of the game. I mean, like, there are just so many new programmers all the time. Mm -hmm. And they don't have the experience because they've literally only been programming for two years or three years or five years. So, you know, to your, to your point almost about the bootstrap stuff, I I take a lot of opportunity off the table by forgetting that beginner, intermediate, simple kinds of topics are actually very attractive to people. Yeah. But I don't, because so much of my writing is based on, here's the thing I solved yesterday, I don't know how to get into that mode. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you, bud. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. If If I were creating content for the sake of creating content, meaning if I was writing articles as a means to get traction, as a means to get interaction from users, I think it'd be a lot easier to, to come up with those, those kind of earlier on in your career topics. But because I'm not creating content specifically for the sake of creating content, I just find it much more, you know, I'm, I'm, follow, I'm following my own journey and I'm writing about that journey. and. I guess I just have to lean into the fact that, that fewer and fewer people are coming with me. So here's maybe here's something that will be interesting and helpful to you and interesting to see how it's going to play out. At some point, whenever you cross that ARR number, you're going to be, you're going to find yourself on the, the modern platform. Team. Oh my God. <laughs> and you're, and so at that scary. point, you are going to be a senior developer, senior level developer with, you know, a decade or more of experience in a totally new world, right? Maybe not entirely new, but you're going to be very pretty new. low down, very very early on the the path of learning the the new tech stack. And I think that that's going to present you a unique opportunity to present early learning content from the perspective of somebody who has seen the end of one of these roads. Right. You, you've seen, you know, the design patterns, you know, a lot of lessons learned the hard way that might be interesting to carry with you through that journey and see how it affects how you think about learning the new stuff. I'm so terrified, honestly, of that transition because I think it's going to be such a hit emotionally. I just, it's scary. I just watched, it's so scary. I just watched the, the latest Thor movie, just came out on Disney Plus, Thor Love and Thunder. I think Love and Thunder, is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I'm not I'm not a big comic book person. So the the backstories don't mean anything to me really, and they don't stick in my memory. But I guess Thor he had his hammer, and then he lost his hammer; or it broke. So he has a new hammer. <laughs> I apologize to all the Marvel people who are yelling at me right now. <laughs> and in Love and Thunder, he, he he has feelings. You know, he's he's catching feelings about his old hammer, <laughs> and he keeps putting his hand out to try and get the hammer to to come to him. 
and it just won't because it's not his hammer anymore. And I, mm. and I feel like that's what going to the new platform is going to be. Like I used to just be able to put my hand out into the air and, and magic would happen. And now I'm going to still want to do that, but nothing's going to happen because I, the, 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 the history of understanding and the history of the technology, it's, it's just not at my fingertips anymore. So it's going to, it's going to be very challenging. Yeah, I think, you know what, let's just wrap it there. I think that that's a, a good spot. Okay, so this episode of Working Code is brought to you by Google Reader, the hip new RSS reader. <laughs> you should check it out, reader.google.com. And listeners like you, if you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we can keep putting out more of whatever this is out into the universe, then you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Patrons help us cover the cost of recording and editing. We couldn't do this every week without them, so special thanks to them. And huge thanks to our top patrons, Monty and Sean. You guys rock. If you want to help us out, you can go to patreon.com slash workingcodepod. All of our patrons at every level get early access to new episodes before they go public. Tonight on the after show, I have a thing. I don't know, Ben, is there anything that you want to talk about on the after show tonight? No, maybe some ranting. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I got, a, I got a thing that I want to kind of dig into, but I don't think it's going to be a full show. So I think after show is where it's going to go. I'm going to talk about supporting emoji in my sequel. Why is that an emotional thing? What does it take to make it work? Why hasn't it just been possible from the beginning? And what are the limitations of that, that you incur by turning on the config to make it work? So we'll get into that a little bit. We, of course, have a Discord. That's where we kind of try to gather our community from the podcast. If you enjoy talking to us and or other listeners of the show, you can join our Discord by going to workingcode.dev slash Discord. It's like Slack, only uh, more community-oriented, less uh, work-oriented. So it's a cool place to hang out. You can send us your topics or questions at Working Code Pod on Twitter or Instagram. When this comes out, you should still have a little bit of time. If you're listening to this as soon as it's released, you should still have a little bit of time to submit your questions for our upcoming 100th episode, Spice Tacular. We'll be doing an AMA while we punish ourselves with food that no, no person should eat. I, I, <laughs> Way too spicy. Yeah. I, I, who was it? Somebody, we were talking about uh, spicy food in Discord recently, and somebody said, Something about like it was something spicy, but like dipped in battery acid. I forget what it was, and that was you know one of the sauces that we're gonna have on our uh, on our plate here soon. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Discord, you can email us at workingcodepod at gmail or send a voice memo there. We'll get it on the show. I think uh, that's gonna do it for us this week. We'll catch you next week, and until then, remember, folks, your heart matters, especially Carol, who is part of our family but couldn't be here tonight. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.